0: Programming note If you've heard the first two episodes of this podcast or you go back and listen to them, there are a lot of stutters and some ums and uhs in there. And that was partly because I recorded it on the fly and didn't have much in the way of editing the audio at that point in time. This go round, I've decided to try a script. So we'll see how it goes. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode three of the All Good Things podcast jumping in between the dim and dark. Circa 1995-96, and I was in high school in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I played violin in the symphony orchestra. I played violin most of my life. It was only about six or seven years before that, my latter elementary school years, when I began to explore pop music. Up until that point, my parents mostly played classical music in the car mainly cassette tapes that accompanied whatever Suzuki school violin book I was learning at the time. I have vivid memories of sitting in my mom's car by myself, somewhere around the age of 10. She would run into stores and she would leave me the keys and I would turn on the radio. At some point I landed on various pop music FM stations and my musical world exploded. This may be why I have a very strong affinity for the song Between You and Me by Lou Graham. Shortly after that, I would be cutting grass with my Walkman, wearing out my tape of Appetite for Destruction. I couldn't wait for us to go over to my grandmother's house because she had cable TV and we didn't, and I was able to turn on MTV when it literally was music television. Once I was able to finally get a Discman, the first CD I purchased was Use Your Illusion 1, shortly followed by 10, Metallica's Black Album, the single soundtrack, And yes, CNC Music Factory's gonna make you sweat. When I discovered the Smashing Pumpkins, there was a time that my 3-disc CD changer stereo, yes, I ultimately upgraded from the Discman, rarely changed CDs from Siamese Dream. The classical music never left, though. By the time I was discovering pop music was about the time that orchestra started being offering in school, and naturally I stuck with violin. Once hitting the junior high school and the beginning of the explosion of the alternative and grunge music scenes, orchestra started including some pop music into the recital repertoire. Orchestral arrangements of Beatles songs were right in the mix with Bach and Mozart. I also tried to begin teaching myself guitar during this time. I state all this to illustrate that my musical tastes were and are pretty eclectic with the exception of country. I really wanted to slip my wrist any time achy breaky heart played at the junior high dances. But back to 1995 and 96. Outside the orchestra room, there were some fellow orchestra geeks that were always singing this song that had this one lyric that I kept hearing. What's the problem anyway when there's no ring? Very interesting. Eventually, I asked what it was they were singing, and they told me it was a, quote, local band, Jump Little Children. And while they were out of Charleston, South Carolina, a good three hours away from Spartanburg, just being from South Carolina was enough to consider them local. Somehow, another orchestra geek friend of mine had acquired their CD, The Liquor's Tea Demos, and just about every time I was in his car, I would beg him to put it in. The sound that came out of those speakers was not like anything else I had been listening to. It didn't have distorted guitars, those weren't power chords, and holy shit, that's a cello. I was enamored. I instantly fell in love with songs like Smiling Down, Someone's in the Kitchen, Dark and Lonely Man, Quiet, and of course, You Can Look. I fell in love with all these songs and didn't even know the names because I didn't actually own the CD. It was incredibly hard to find. It wasn't available at normal music stores, and I would yet to discover some of the local music stores in town. And I certainly wasn't old enough to go see them at a club if they happened to be coming through or near a town. I don't quite remember if it was an all ages show or if I had finally turned 18, but as soon as I was able to see them live, I eagerly paid my $10 for my own copy of that CD. And anytime they made it to Magnolia Street Pub in Spartanburg, South Carolina, or the OG Handlebar in Greenville, or by the time I was in college at USC in Columbia and they were at the Elbow Room, you bet I was there. The other bonus about seeing Jump Live was that they were often on the road with Dayroom, a band from Athens, Georgia, and if you've never heard of them, you should definitely check them out. Going to a Jump show was somewhat the musical equivalent of going to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Everyone knew all the songs. There was even audience choreography that everyone somehow just figured out without the internet telling you because it barely existed at that time. It was absolutely a blast. Not to mention that there was just a crazy amount of talent on stage. Jay Clifford's chord changing on his guitar looked so unbelievably effortless. Ward Williams' crazy cello skills and his mad electric guitar skills. Someone should have invented a drinking game every time Matt Bivens changed instruments. Johnny Gray danced with his double bass, somehow defying the laws of balance and gravity while never missing a note and not the least Evan Bivens keeping the beat behind the drum set, just making it look too easy. You would occasionally hear them try out new songs live, and that led to desperately wanting them to release another album. We did get a live album called Buzz with some new material on it, but man, I wished for a good studio album. And then it happened. They were signed to a subsidiary of Atlantic Records, and in 1998, magazine came out. To this day, I still will listen to that album front to back. Now, granted, it had more electric guitar introduced, but coming from seeing them live so much over the two to three years prior, it definitely felt like an evolution from Licorice Tea. But more importantly, I felt like I witnessed that evolution. There isn't a song I don't like on that album, but if I had to pick favorites, I absolutely love All Those Days Are Gone, Violent Dreams, B13, and Say Goodnight. Those songs get regularly put in playlists I create. It would be a full three years till the next album came out in 2001, Vertigo. It had to be sometime between 1999 and 2000 when I saw them at Magnolia's in Spartanburg and they debuted a song, Come Around. This was by far one of the most amazing songs I had heard in a long time. Jay comes up with the most haunting melodies and this song just captivated me from the very moment I heard it. I made myself remember the name of that song and I was probably going to drive to Charleston and slap them in the face if it wasn't on the next album. Thankfully it was. Vertigo felt a little different, but I could somewhat see the evolution in the songwriting. Aside from Come around, Angel Dust is flat out amazing. Too high, all Hold Your Tongue, Lover's Greed, Mother's Eyes, and Overkill are all at the top of my list on that disc. It would be another three years before we would get the next and last, or so we thought, album Between the Dim and the Dark. And this album was different. Something had changed. The writing was different. The instrumentation was different. This didn't feel like a Jump Little Children album, or at least not what felt like the next evolution coming from vertigo it honestly didn't appeal to me i was disappointed i felt like there was this amazing band with this amazing sound and such a unique mix of instruments and they changed it all up now granted i'll give them the fact that they didn't stay with atlantic and maybe they were just trying different things to hit a broader audience but for eight or nine years of following these quote unquote local boys I guess I was just sad I wanted them to succeed I wanted to hear Matchbox Whistler on regular rotation on the radio I wanted a video on MTV of cathedrals or violent dreams I wanted the whole world to fall in love with this band and at the time my first impression of Between the Dim and the Dark was them changing to try to fit an audience. I should also say that during the course of this time, I had been in a couple of bands myself with dreams of making it big. Uh, Some of this might have been my own dreams getting crushed uh, some as I felt that maybe you have to change yourself to make it. So a lot of this was maybe my own reflections of what was going on at the time. What I would come to learn is I don't think I was mature enough to appreciate this album when it came out. I couldn't get past the fact of quote-unquote my band changing. Really what happened is they leaped past whatever the thing was that was in my head that would have been the next jump record, and instead they recorded a true gem. It took me about six years to realize that. Sometime around 2010, I was driving and popped in the CD, and something just hit me with these songs. I don't know if it was an appreciation for the production quality or the songwriting or what, but something was different, listening to this almost with fresh ears. I believe their last official show was in 2005, and by this time, I figured I'd never see them play live again fingers crossed, maybe there would be a reunion show sometime. But as I flipped through to this CD, I said to myself, if this band that I loved so much put this thing out into the world, I should really give it another chance. And man, I'm glad that I did, because now I put these songs up there with all my favorites from their past. Like Magazine, I love every one of them. The lyrics in Hold You Down, "Rains in Asia, Broken, and Requiem are in regular rotation in my playlists. So I started thinking about my relationship with this album and this band. When I said earlier that I hadn't matured enough to appreciate it, what I mean is my expectation of what they should have written and recorded casted a shadow over my willingness to even give it a chance my love for this band and their music blinded me from enjoying this band and their music how unfair was it for me to do this and i'm sure i'm not the only person that's done this and jump little children certainly isn't the only band that this has happened to by fans you feel like you're a part of this group because you follow them around or you listen to their music for years yet you don't have the same experiences that they have as individuals and as a band that end up shaping their music and their art. How presumptuous is it of us to have those expectations? Well, here we are, 22, 23 years since I first heard Jump Little Children, 14 years after Between the Dim and the Dark was released, 13 years after the band broke up, and three years since they have started doing some reunion shows, which have been amazing, I might add. And now they're recording a new album. I'm so excited. I'm so ready to hear new music from this group, and for once, I have no expectations of what it should or shouldn't sound like. If you've never heard of Jump Little Children, do yourself a favor. Go dig them up on iTunes or Google Play, and be on the lookout for new music by them. For now, all good things have come to an end.